From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 112 of the Killing It podcast. I'm Carl, joined today by Dave and Ryan. And gentlemen, do you know what this week is? The week of freedom. <laughs> Two-year anniversary of the fire in Notre Dame Cathedral, which means it's the two-year anniversary of our first recording. That's true, because we were when talking People about may that. not know this. When we sat down to record the first episode, we all had another monitor on because Notre Dame was on fire, and we were like, distracted by it see that was yeah, some yeah. earth shattering developments in the in the real world I, I i read something recently that they're behind not surprisingly but they actually believe that they finally have a plan for how they will re- redo the construction they they had originally said that they wanted it back up and running in time for the 2024 Olympics or whatever that, that was going to be going on. I don't believe that that'll happen, but you know, it's good to see those things come back around. I was convinced that building was toast on that very first recording session. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's amazing. Two years, two years of doing this, and uh, and what a what a wild ride that has been in, in its own self. Like, Think about what things we were talking about two years ago. And, <laughs> a few, and how, a few uh, things have happened in the industry. Yeah, no, nothing's nothing's happened since then. It's been quite quite the ride. So, well, thank I you. Still, thanks I still don't have a drone burrito yet, but you know. But everything else has changed. Well, thank you to all the listeners who stuck with us for this. We do really appreciate it, and thank you for continuing to engage and share and let us know what are on your on your mind. And this week, we are brought to you by our friends at Acronis. Are you still relying on a frustrating patchwork of legacy solutions? Modernize your cybersecurity and data protection with Acronis CyberProtect Cloud. It's a single solution that combines backup, anti-malware, and endpoint protection management. As an MSP, you can easily improve client security posture, eliminate complexity, and generate more recurring revenue. Learn more about Acronis CyberProtect Cloud at Acronis.com. All righty. And our first topic today is all about AI and the military. So we cover a lot of AI stories, but the the one that the, we got a couple of links, but the first link that we have, I want you to click on it just to see the very scary picture of multiple drones coming in and imagining that if there, this were hundreds of drones, and when you think about the military using robots, it all makes perfect sense, right? Uh, you get the people out of the way of danger and so forth, but how do you control hundreds of drones at the same time? The answer obviously is artificial intelligence. The question then becomes, do you trust your artificial, uh, artificial intelligence enough that they're not gonna be shooting all of your soldiers? Well, it's, there, there's that. Or you can just hire lots of people to control each one. 
<laughs> but I, I, what was interesting to me is, is, I mean, that that's one take. And then we've included another piece because a pair of military experts are also saying that the military may actually be thinking too much about what AI will be doing. And they may be missing the boat on the uh, critical weapons investments and the de deprioritization. Now, I will be remiss if I did not observe that funny how the uh, always the entrenched military always tells you about how bad everything will be with change. There is always that. Well, Fine. and that's that's literally no different than somebody saying, no, 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 you can't move your server to the cloud. Real servers are on site. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, but at the same time, you know, there there is there's a reason why you balance out, you know, all all things in moderation, including moderation, right? They, is that you've they 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 do have to think about the various scenarios that they need to handle, and they need to make sure that they're not focused on on just the one. You know, there is for me there there's this just scary thought of military of military conflict happening in an entirely automated way. Like I, I there's there's something just really scary about the idea of a conflict between two computers. Right. Like because you can you can where, where one country d d d says we're going to take military action and the other responds and, and it's all done via automated interaction. Like you can you can project out to that and that feels like it sanitizes it too much to actually make it not important enough. Like, you know, and look, I think I think it's one of the reasons why military conflict is as as carefully used as it is is because it has real human consequences. And if all of a sudden military action is entirely done through technology, that's really scary to me. And actually it's going to link into some of the discussions we have next about cyber breaches. But, uh, but I, but I think that's important to realize is that well, yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly value in making the military conflict as efficient as possible. There's a real downside in that if it becomes not as costly, it's tempting to use more. Well, and and to that point, right? We've been having a conversation about the ethical application of drone warfare for a number of years now, and those are human-controlled drones, but combatants that are separated entirely from the theater of battle and people have been wondering is that actually okay or do we need to have more personal interaction with the technologies uh, hollywood has been having this conversation for us for a number of years right we all are familiar with skynet and with all of the automation of technology and whether or not that's okay but uh, i don't know if you haven't seen the movie Angel has fallen. Now, this is not great cinema. I would not. Uh, I, I would not put this up in the Shakespearean realm of theater. But uh, uh, Gerard Butler's character in the continuing story of all the things that have fallen, it's actually a major plot point of trying to kidnap the president of the United States because they were using AI to control a swarm of very many, very tiny drones that conventional weapons could not actually uh, fight against. In the Hollywood application, that was a supremely difficult technology to overcome. I actually believe that in the real world application, it will have issues that we do not yet anticipate. 
I, for one, I was the first one who opened today's uh, session by saying, I, I love drones and I wish I had a burrito, but I'm also going to be the one who puts the hard no on the military using AI to control weapons. Uh, we've talked enough on this show about the implications of AI controlling facial recognition, and that's when we're just trying to identify people, right? That's got enough problems. I don't, I'm nowhere near close enough to being okay with that facial recognition then actually pulling the trigger on what it thinks is the right person that it ought to be shooting. Well, the, the good news is one of these articles is all about training and testing and, you know, there's there's no actual people dying, right? This This was verifying whether the AI was smart enough to know who the enemy is and who the friends are and completely admits there will be mistakes. Now mistakes means people's lives. So, you know, and, and to be honest, we're reaching a point where a lot of the scary stuff from the earliest science fiction movies um, is now something that we actually have to address those concerns, but the genie is never going back in the bottle. So we need to go through this process to make sure it, meets our goals and has the safety precautions that we think are necessary. I mean, I'm not at all worried about the like, you know, AI taking over and killing us all. Like actually that's not what I'm worried about. What I'm actually worried about is, is the abstraction of destruction to the level where it doesn't matter. Like that's, that I think is the much more consequential impact of this. You know, just as we have unexpected consequences from the application of technology in general, that's one where it's when it becomes too abstracted, that is bothersome. And that's the one that I highlight for all of us as technologists to think about the you know the downside. That's mine. Well, and, and I think you're correct in a very tangible way. Anybody who's ever watched a seven-year-old play Minecraft, you realize that there's no emotion associated with just killing that next thing, whether it's a zombie or an animal or whatever, right? Uh, the concept of abstracted killing becomes very easy and there is no remorse associated with it. I would hope that this is the kind of boundary stretching exercise with AI that can have some nearer term uh, benefits with other things that we would use commercially. I, I would, and again, I thought the article was fascinating in the exercise happening, you know, within nearly walking distance of my house here. Um, I know exactly where it happened. And I remember hearing about this when it did. Um, it, it's, it's a fantastic exploration with technology. I am nowhere, even as, a, as, a, as an AI advocate, I am nowhere near okay with being in a world where the AI is now pulling triggers. But it has to get there someday. So uh, they, you know, luckily we're not we're not at the point where we have to make any decisions this afternoon. So no. But instead, let's move on to talk a little bit about the the news everybody should know. So I'm not even going to spend time recapping the Colonial Pipeline ransomware. <laughs> Uh, because, I mean, if, if you're listening, you've heard something about this. What I want to pose to this to this discussion is, is, so I'm working off a basic premise of everyone's saying, oh, this is a wake-up call. Like, what's happening with, with this is a wake-up call. I actually am going to go out and say, I don't think it is. And I want you guys to tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. As far as I can tell, besides writing a check, 
that a company writes, let me be very specific, that companies write, people aren't paying any, in the U.S., are not paying any price for this. Consumers might be. Like, consumers may feel some pain, and governments may face some pain, and end customers might face. But actually, who cares, right? Because if because those that let breaches happen, right, the, putting aside the criminals themselves, if you're if you are criminally negligent in this case, nobody seems to be paying a price. Uh, I'll observe from a stock perspective, Target and Equi Equifax, they seem to be doing just fine after massive breaches. SolarWinds, okay, they're still down a little bit on on their uh, stock price, but all those execs got 100% of their 2020 compensation after overseeing the worst supply chain breach in history. The company decided to pay them their full so full amount. So, you know, they're licking their wounds personally. Uh, and, and I just look at this and say, so so here's this next one, right? Is is any, I don't see a perp walk. I don't see anybody going out and, you know, who will be arrested and taken away for just allowing this to happen. Guys, am I wrong? There's no consequences for this. So there, there is an executive order, which actually had been in the works before this and is not a response to this, but it is a step towards addressing this problem. And I think one of the things that will come out of that is something kind of like the NTSB that will, that instead of being transportation focused, it will be security incident focused and then say, look, here's what went wrong. Here's how it could have been prevented. If it can't be prevented, here's how we could have, you know, minimized damage, so forth and so on. I think we as, as a country, as a society need to figure out what do we want a response to be? Are we gonna throw up our hands and say, ransomware happens, there's nothing you can do about it? Or are we gonna say, look, you are so responsible that even if you couldn't have prevented it, we're gonna hold you responsible financially, criminally, and so forth. We have to figure out what is a good response. I mean, if you put a bunch of people in jail, is it gonna do anything to stop ransomware? Probably not. See, I, a number of years ago, I became absolutely convinced that one of the shortcomings in our industry is an over-reliance on the concept of FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt as a selling technique. We've been doing this as an industry for many, many years. If you do not buy my backup software, you're gonna go out of business. If you don't buy my security endpoint protection, you're gonna go out of business, right? We, we use this boogeyman approach to selling technology because we think, well, if people don't fear the ultimate pain that's gonna come from not having this, why would they buy it? Well. I don't know, maybe that would help them be more efficient. Maybe it would help them actually be a little bit more profitable. We can sell business value without selling this ultimate fear. But in this case, Dave, I think you're right. I think that we are in a world where for all the fear that we've been selling in the security space, there aren't actually any real consequences. And this is just a modern digital application of the concept of acceptable collateral damage from doing business, right? If you're familiar, the automotive industry years ago, decades ago, was there's there's a lot of documentation. You can do some homework to, to get into this if you wish. but they arrived at a point where brakes and safety systems and passive restraints and airbags were expensive 
and we could make cars safer, but the car companies did the math and they said, how much would we pay out if a person died in a car crash that was preventable because we didn't put that safety device into an automobile? They did the math and they realized, you know, there's a certain number of dead people that we are willing to accept because it's less expensive than preventing any of those bad consequences. That was 40, 50 years ago, and we're just now getting to the point of a digital version of that conversation. Will we have some ransomware? Yeah. Will, will it cost some customers some money, and will it have some, I don't know, brand implications? Maybe. But it's not so bad, so hey, let's just keep doing these things and having insecure networks, and you'll, you'll get your bonus, I'll get my bonus, high five, everything will be okay. Unfortunately, this is an old story made modern. Yep. I think there needs to be more consequences. Look, I, I've used this analogy before. I will use it again. Uh, the cheapest way to dispose of your toxic waste is dump it in the river. We as society have decided that we'd like clean water, and thus there are regulations to control that. We can have a healthy debate over the type of clean, the level of cleanliness, the way that it's just, but we can have a discussion about that. But there are extremes where you go to jail for dumping toxic chemicals into public water systems, right? Well, I will we'll observe that right now, there just isn't when it comes to this area. And I, my, my argument is, is, is that for anybody in the delivery of IT services, you should be embracing the idea of a minimum standard because it helps keep the riffraff around out and it keeps the riffraff from from getting invo involved and it also defines the rules of engagement of what you you know you are responsible for from that perspective but there is a level of personal responsibility that does need to come into this as i said if if executives don't ever feel the pain of making a mistake on this then they're not going to change their behavior. So I think some regulation is good. The question, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to go down the road of all regulation is good, right? Saying that, yep. Great example of bad regulation. But this is also an incident where we're kind of lucky in the fact that the only actual shortage was caused by greed and stupidity. Right. There was no actual shortage. Oh, right. right. <laughs> we, we, had, we had delay, but we've got two weeks worth of of uh, supply out there just waiting to be delivered to gas stations. And it, this was a replication of the toilet paper uh, incident of 12 months ago, right? So this this was a supply chain issue. Um, and in, in this particular case, I'm not sure where the negligence would come in. Like where where would you send somebody to prison for uh, well, Carl, letting, let's, let's, letting let's this- observe that this company just put up a job listing for a security professional for their organization. It's questionable whether or not they did the basics. Well, right? I mean, well and, and again, I, I don't know if they did the basics or not, but my, my point is simply, this isn't the example for sending people to jail. An example where somebody infects 60,000 computer systems that's a different story. Like, like solar winds? <laughs> but I mean, you know, just saying, right? Like it's but, so. In some ways, this this was a, an early shot where we need to take the warning and we need to figure out rationally when there's no emergency going on, what do we want to do um, so that we prevent something that 
so, that really could be a problem because we have single points of failure and supply chain issues separate from the governance issues. Right. So let's let's talk about a hypothetical company that sells software to say I don't know the federal government, right? And this hypothetical company uh, doesn't manage their supply chain in a way that allows uh, you know major federal agencies to compromise state secrets. Like that feels like potentially in the area of having that harder conversation, right? right? I'm just saying, I think you need to be clear about the criteria and not say we would apply it here and here and here and here. There need to be very specific criteria so that people can take the appropriate yes. actions and avoid going to jail because they just happen to be I the head of an organization that's compromised. And for the practical implications of this, right, for everybody who works in this industry, what does this mean to you? I think this is a time where everybody needs to step back and say, Carl told us so a year ago, right? You said, <laughs> and, and what I believe is absolutely critical here, the, the observation you made with the toilet paper thing was it's not a question of real shortage. It's a question of the resilience of your supply chain. Everything that we are talking about here, it's not about whether or not there was a business that had a problem. It's the ripple effect through the interconnected economy. And Carl, you were very early on that topic, and I think it is absolutely critical. If you manage networks, if you manage security, if you are responsible for the technology operations of your customers, it is not just your customers who are in question here. It is all of the ripple effect down the supply chain that that's about to have. I, I continue to think we're gonna come back to that topic of supply chain many times here over the years. And Carl, you were the first one to put us onto that topic, so. <laughs> High five on being right on how wrong. All right, I got I got to laugh for the for those listening at home that I saw Ryan salutes everyone on an audio podcast. Well done, <laughs> sir. I, I, did. I have, have to remember they can't they can't see you on the radio, Ryan. Um, so in that spirit, I will segue with an audio cue into our third topic here, as we've uh, been talking about some of the technology aspects of what's going well or not going well. We're going to shift into a conversation about some of the contracts and the legal implications that are affecting our industry. And specifically, we're linking to an article in The Guardian talking about the implications of non-disclosure agreements and whether they perhaps have gone too far in certain applications. Now, the story that's specifically in feature here is something I've heard about it actually in a lot of detail because we've been having these conversations internally. A person who was prevented from talking about uh, certain employment and or ethical issues because they were locked down by an NDA. I grew up in the technology industry and I understand the reasons why intellectual property and business practices and code bases need to be protected, but I believe as an industry we have overstepped what the logical application of protecting trade secrets might be and we've gotten to the point where we're now empowering a lot of bad behavior inside the industry in the guise of you're prevented from saying anything at all because of this overarching NDA. So uh, I'd love to hear from you guys thoughts on whether it's this specific case or the broader topic of 
uh, the NDA as a vehicle in the world of technology. Do you think we've gone too far? Do we need to rein it back in? Or what are your thoughts on this situation? I haven't looked into this enough to know whether the NDA that is in question here, the NDA that she signed, was in addition to the standard NDA of the company. Because it seems to me, if you have a standard NDA for a company, it covers things like company secrets, not anti-discrimination policies and, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, it's one thing if you say, well, I'm going to show you all the secrets of Pinterest and how they operate and so forth, that would, you should be held liable for breaking an NDA. If you say there was, there were people discriminating against other people and it was systematic and it was da 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 da, da that's not something that, that gives a, a company an edge over their competition. That is illegal behavior. So unless she signed a separate NDA to be quiet for a bunch of money, then it doesn't seem to me that you would be able to enforce. So that. to help you there, help you there a little bit, Carl. The NDA said that she was not allowed to specify the reason she left the organization. So that kind of NDA is usually signed when you get a big payout and you lose your payout if you break the NDA. Well, right. And so, so the argument, the way the argument goes on this is, is that she, she was paid off because of because of discrimination kind of thing and thus not allowed to talk about it and the way and there's this is in of course in california which carl will smile about uh where the the there is now a new set of legislation saying that you can't actually you know fate that can't be protected and and confidentially if if there is discrimination or harassment that can't be covered under an nda is the proposed law right yeah so we yeah because our law our new law uh, or, or proposed law says that basically you can't hide illegal activity <laughs> and right. pretend that it was it covered as a as a, a company secret. Right, and and that so the the my take on this is is just this element of you know like this is an, a power dynamic problem. Um, you know, look, I get the I really do get the idea of protecting uh, core intellectual property, right? Like I think. But, but I think we can probably safely say that there's a lot of organizations that are really stretching that definition in order to protect their own their own bits and by the way at, at the you know to to push back on workers right and I think that that is is kind of that's my my real take on this is is that you know we I think systematically need to do a better job of protecting workers um, I think you know that, that you know that if I'm a bit, I'm a capitalist, right? Fight that stuff out over good ideas. Protect the people, um, and if and if you if you've got if you're so poorly run that you need to use use these NDAs to protect your IP, you're not doing it right, right? Like, like let the market let the let the market dynamics fix that. But we have to protect the people that work at organizations. That's what we've got to focus on. And I think we've over rotated a little bit too far. See, and, and that's where I, I agree with your with your conclusion there. <clears throat> there are things that should be protected, and then there are things where we're trying to use that protection for inappropriate, very broad applications. I, as a consultant, analyst, uh, trainer in this industry, I can't actually count the number of NDAs that I have signed. I, in order to do business with many different vendors, literally, they 
you can't help them unless they tell you some inside stuff. And I have tremendous respect for the need to protect not just actual code bases, but legitimate business practices and ways that you are competing in the marketplace. I understand the need to do that. I respect that with no uh, with no limitations, and and we have been very willing to sign and and live by those kinds of restrictions, much more frequently than a regular employee would. Right? An employee might sign an NDA once every five years or so. I sign one a month at least, right? And I have for 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 decades. But you can't use that to prevent your people from getting new jobs. You can't use that for preventing regular open competition in the marketplace. You can't use this legal protection to prevent commerce, if you will. And this is where I think it goes from, it's not just the big name brand technology manufacturers in our industry. This comes right down to the grassroots of you and me and every two person company in the channel in the technology industry. We need to make sure that we are not constraining regular business with an NDA, but that we're protecting things that need to be protected. Right. Well. And I'm just going to say, and illegal activity shouldn't be on the list of things that could be protected. To me, if you're discriminating against somebody on the basis of race, creed, color, etc., that's illegal, and it shouldn't be eligible to be covered under an NDA. Right, and 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 clear, and, and there's an element of if it's clear, if that is currently unclear, then we need to fix that. Right, that we if if there is right. there's a room here for for that, and and I think. You know, there's an, a degree of changing cultural norms need to sometimes get codified in order to, cl- to, to create clarity where there might be confusion. Um, sometimes you know. I just wonder what goes through people's brains on stuff like this. Like you, you thought that you were going to get away with this because like it's intellectual property. I'm a big fan of intellectual property. That's how I make all my money. <laughs> but I don't confuse that with the illegal activity. Well, I mean, look, look, remember that, that in a power dynamic problem, big company with lots of lawyers can make it very scary for indiv- single individual to push back. It's a power dynamic issue more, more than anything else is, you know, and, and that that's where we've got to be careful to make sure that individuals again, we protect people, not not, you know, not organizations. We make sure that people are empowered to take the actions they need to. All righty. Sadly, that will do it for episode 112 of the Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.